Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Kuahara. Does anybody know what that is? Am I literally the only person in the room that knows what a kuahara is? Wow. What about you at home? Okay, let me ask this. E.T., any E.T. fans here? Extraterrestrial. You know, E.T., the movie, right? There's a scene in the movie that became real popular for kids, well, adults that were kids when the movie came out, like me. There's a scene where they're a gang of kids riding their bikes, and E.T. is in the front basket of Elliot's bike, and they start riding. What happens next? They start flying. E.T. levitates them. The bike that they're all riding on is a Kuahara. It was a Japanese-made bike. Became famous because of that movie, but it was an incredible BMX bike. So when I was a kid and the movie came out, my only wish was for a Kuahara. Now, I, I knew it wouldn't make me fly, but it was, at that time, one of the best BMX bikes as you, bikes you could find. And so I begged, I begged, oh, please, I want a Kuahara so bad, please. I think I even prayed about it. Lord, if you've got any pull and say so with the, with the fat, jolly guy, help him out here. I need a Kuahara. So I, I just begged for that for Christmas. And, and on Christmas morning, I walked out. And there it was, Kuhara. And it was chrome, shiny, beautiful piece of machinery and art. The only reason why I wanted a Kuhara was because it was a great BMX bike. And what I was really into was not taking off and flying with ETs in my front basket. What I was really into was off-road BMX bike riding with all of my buddies in the neighborhood. When we lived in Texas, everybody lived in a square. Like, everything is like this in Amarillo, Texas. You know exactly, because all the streets were numbers too, you knew exactly how many blocks it took to get from that street to that street, because they were all numbers, right? And this way they were numbers, and this way, one way they were even, the other way they were odd, right? And you just knew where everybody was, and everything that you touched and did was in a box. It was in Major Road's box, so this was my hood. This was it. And I went to Belmar Elementary School. And just around the corner from Belmar was not only a mall, but the movie theater. So we would get on our BMX bikes and we'd ride furiously up to the mall. We'd go hang out at the mall with our parachute pants on. And we'd get on our bikes and we'd ride over to the movie theater and we'd catch the, the movie theater and play Tron. Does anybody remember the game Tron? <laughs> uh, and then, this was a Saturday, then after the movie was over, right behind the movie theater, right, right behind it, I don't know if they were doing 
uh, site work or what, but there were these mounds of dirt. And the older kids who had motorized modes of transportation, dirt bikes, <laughs> had created this incredible course. And, and, and towards the end of the day, they weren't out there. They, they wore it out at different times, but as it was starting to get evening, you could go out there and ride. And one of our favorite games was follow the leader. Anybody ever play follow the leader on your bike? Now, follow the leader on a BMX bike means everything that they did, you had to do. And so if they were riding, and there's a big jump, whoom, and they fly up and they, you know, do the whole legs out and in the air, woo, and come back down, you had to do that. So there I was on my kuahar, woo! Or if they went and they jumped and they did the tabletop, anybody ever do a tabletop where you lay it down sideways? And everything that they did, you had to do precisely. Now, I remember one time when I was leading, and I was riding, the guy behind me thought he would be funny, and he'd get right up on my tail and tip my tire, right? Just knock my tire. What he didn't know, or what he didn't think through is, that if you ever hit someone from behind on a bike, who's the one that's going to go down? the guy behind you because that's where the steering is. So he hit my tail and, and I didn't, didn't, make, didn't make any difference in me and, and there he goes falling down. There was an art to leading and an art to following on the Kuaharas. Today we're going to look at a passage and we're going to actually look at a word that kind of is like doing follow the leader on a kuahara. If you have your Bibles turned to Isaiah, we're going to look at Isaiah 2, and it's going to be verses 1 through 4. In this passage, we have a, a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking into his situation and into the people of Israel, but it's looking forward to some future prophecy. Now, some believe that it was a future prophecy about immediate, that was going to happen pretty quickly with the people of Israel. But other people think it was a prophecy for way in the future. We're going to look at it from the lens of the 21st century. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4. You can follow on the screen or on a smart device or in your Bible. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amon, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Then he writes... It shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, this is not a great translation, although a lot of people have latter days. Does your translation say something else? Anybody? Last days? Okay, latter days and last days are both, to be honest, bad translations. It really is the, the days to come would be a better translation. Now, why do you think that's important? Why would that be? What, what's the distinction there? Latter days versus days to come. Right. So one is very, okay, like at the end, when, I, when it's all about to be consummated, when everything's about to come to a close, bam, that's when this happens. But days to come really means this point looking forward or at some point in the future and ongoing in the future. 
So days to come is a much better translation. So it shall come to pass in the days to come that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Now, what is the mountain of the house of the Lord? Did you just say it, Matt? Oh, what? I mean, let's think about it. Where, where was, where was the house of God considered for the people of Israel? The temple. And where was the temple? On the mountain in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. So it's literally talking about the temple that sits on top of the mountain, right? So, in days to come, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. And shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. So in this, in this prophecy, it's, it's, it's a visual, it's a picture, but it's symbolic. He doesn't mean that Zion's going to get grow and become the largest mountain in the world. That's not what he means. It, he's, he's not saying that the Temple Mount at one day in our future is going to go, you know, and rise above everything else. It's not what this means. It does. It's not. It's not literal. It is figurative. What he's saying is that it's going to become the most important place. And then he says, all the nations shall flow to it. Now, this word for flow can mean one of two things. It can mean flow like a river, or it can mean to look upon with radiance. Isn't that weird? It can mean flow like a river or look upon with radiance. And the reason why is because in Hebrew, they are, there are no vowels. There's just consonants. And you're not real sure what root they're pulling from here. So it can mean one of two things. Or, as I happen to think Isaiah, because he's really good at double entendres, I think he's using this word so that it pulls in both meanings. The nations will flow as they look upon it with radiance. Does that make sense? So they're going to see this mountain rise up now figuratively, and it's going to be glowing, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be like that shiny silver kuahara on Christmas morning. And everybody's going to look on it with awe and reverence, like I did that morning when I walked out and I saw my bike there. <gasps> and then people are going to flow to it. They're going to be so drawn by the beauty of it, so enamored with joy that flows from it, that they're going to reflect it back and flow to it. They're going to, they're going to come in droves to the mountain of the Lord. Now that is the word picture here. What he's saying is at some point in the future, in days to come, there's going to be, God's going to be lifted high above everything else. And when he's lifted high above everything else, he will draw all men to himself. Does that sound familiar? If so, it comes from John 12. In fact, many scholars believe that as Jesus is saying, when I'm lifted high, I will draw all men to myself. He is connecting back to this prophecy in Isaiah. Interesting, isn't it? At some point, the mountain of the Lord, the place, the presence of God is going to be so real that it begins to draw people to it. And they will come from all nations. Verse 3. And many peoples. Peoples, that's plural. That means many ethnicities. Many backgrounds. 
many languages, many nations, peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So let's stop here for a second. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. What does that imply? That as God's lifted high and he draws people to them, what are they going to naturally want to do? Be in his presence. Come, let us go to the mountain. Let's go up to the house of God. Why? So that he may teach us his ways. And so that then we may walk in his paths. So get this. Get this sequence. God is lifted high. People are drawn to him. And they're drawn to him for the purpose of learning who he is and what he's about. So that then they can go and follow the way he's instructed. What I want to stop for a minute on is this word, way. Let's go to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways. Derech. Derech. Ways. It can mean way, as in road. That's the way you get there. It can mean way, as in journey. That's the way you get there in this whole stretch, the journey that you're on. But it can also mean behavior. There's where we're going. This is the road that you're going to get going there. And this is how you behave while you're on this road. It's all of that wrapped up in one. Here's what's interesting, though. The root word for derech means to tread down a path or to bend the bow. Now that's weird, isn't it? To tread down the path or to bend the bow. In essence, this word means that we walk in the way right behind the feet of God, that we walk in the path that he creates for us. I get a picture of someone on the bike leading the pack. And he's riding that bike, and I'm doing my best to keep him in sight and to follow and to do everything he does. It means to tread down a path, to walk this way so regularly and so often that it becomes natural and that everybody can see the way. Your life becomes a pointer to the way. But it also means to draw the bow. Now, when I was younger, I shot a recurve bow. I'd inherited it from a great uncle, and... He had just been sitting in his, in his house, and so I had that recurve bow, and I used to hunt with it. Now, if you have a compound bow, I mean, those are really nice, and they are really easy to shoot compared to a recurve bow. A recurve bow is almost like it's part of your arm. It, it's, not, it's not you pull back, and you find the sight, and you've got pins set, and you know that at this distance, it's going to go right where I put that pin. That's not a recurve bow. A recurve bow, you kind of have to lean into it, and it becomes an extension of you. 
And it's not a pull back and hold and wait. It's a fluid motion. It's to draw the bow. It's one quick motion. And you're just reaching out. Bam. It becomes part of you. But just like a compound bow with pins and sights that will put the arrow right where it's supposed to be, if you're a really good archer, you don't even have to think about it. When you pull that bow back and you pull the string and release it, you know exactly where that arrow is going every time. And so what I think this really means here for us, one way to understand this word way it's as if God has put us in his quiver and he pulls us out on a bow that's already strung and he pulls it back and he lets it go and he sends us exactly where he wants us to be. That's what the word way means. So why did people come to God? Because of his glory, because of his beauty, because they sense something better because they sense a reality that's beyond themselves. Because they see, they see what God created and who he is and how, and how he has shalom intended for everybody. And they're drawn to that. And when they're drawn to that, they begin to walk in his way. They want to know his ways. They want to know exactly where he intends to pull them back and point them and release them to. And so it says, let's go to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that he might trod the path before us, that he might give us the right direction, the right road, and the right behavior. He gives us the way to live. And this might sound like something else you've heard before from the mouth of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know what real life looks like, live like me. Follow me. That's what Jesus told his disciples. And that's what he's inviting us to. And that's what Isaiah saw in his vision. That there would be a day where there's a faithful group of followers. A faithful group of people who are so in love and so passionate about seeking the God of the universe. That they walk in his way. That they are like an arrow shot from his bow. That they go at precisely where, they, where he wants them to be. And he lands them every time on the bullseye. And that's what he intends for us. He wants to give us the way to live, the how to live, the where to live, the why to live. And he wants to give us life. Not life like I'm alive, but real life. I have come that you might have life, but have it. To the full, to the utmost, the way I intended you to live. And so why are the people drawn to the mountain in Isaiah's vision? Because they want to learn the ways. And what about learning the ways? Is it enough to learn the ways? No. He may teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. That we may take his truth and live it out. So there is a part of this where we not only learn God's way, but we have to be responsible to walk in it. It's up to us. Are we going to allow him to draw us from his quiver and to shoot us where he wants to shoot us? Are we going to follow him in step? Are we going to trot the path that he lays out before us? Are we going to get on our kuahara as nice and shiny as they are and follow him as closely as possible? 
so close that if we accidentally bump tires with them, we fall over, but that's okay. My point is there are times in life when our pursuit of God where we get close and other times where we back off, times where we hit a stump or we hit a root and we fall over, right, Laura? Just this past week, we went riding, uh, mountain bike riding over in South Alabama. If you haven't done that, it's a great, there are three great courses over there. And they're, they're kind of technical, but the white is really technical. And we both have hardtails. Now you're thinking, whoa, hey, what does that mean? That means we don't have full suspension bikes. We just have fork suspension. I've lost a lot of it. Just hang with me for a second. A full suspension bike, you can go over anything, and it's like this, and you're just staying still. A hardtail bike doesn't have full suspension. You're like this every time you go over a bump, right? We were riding that, that white course, which is really made for full suspension bikes, but we had not the proper stuff. And it beat us up. So much so that Laura literally went over her handlebars. Are you okay? I, I, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have t- said that. But she did. And it was amazing. I mean, it hurt, but it was like, wow. See, you, you're okay. You survived that. And all along that white, that white trail out at South Alabama, man, as we were beaten up and go, man, I ran into a tree. I had to bail out one time. I was like, man, this is just really just get me off this course. There are times that our following God feels like being on the white trail at South Alabama with a, a, with a front suspension and not a full frame uh, suspension bike. And it's rugged and it beats you up and it's hard, but you just grit it out and you stay with it because his way always is better. When we got done, two things were said. We will never do that again. But I'm glad we did. Sometimes following God is like riding that white trail. It is hard And you beat your head against the window like this bird's doing over here trying to get in. Sorry. Did y'all hear that? Bam, bam. And that's what it feels like sometimes pursuing God, just running into something. And you're just not, you're not getting anywhere, but just stay the course. Ride it out. It might be rough, but his way is always better. His course is always better. And you might like look back at the end and go, man, that was brutal. But it was worth it. Lord, come let us go up to the mountain that we may learn your ways and walk in your paths. For out of Zion shall shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And if you read the rest of the vision and all the world will be impacted. So guys, if we want to impact the world, If we want to live the life God created us to be, we've got to be in his truth, in his way. Like an arrow shot from his bow. Like the path that he trods out for us, right on his heels, on our bikes, even if it beats us to death. Doing exactly what he's he's doing and going exactly where he tells us to go. And if we do that, all the world will see. It's cyclical here. 
the more people that walk, that learn and walk the way, the more people will see the glory of God. The more people that see the glory of God, the more people will walk the way. The more we become for someone else an example of the, of the Lord and the mountain of God. Guys, it's also why we're told we are a city on a hill. The city on the hill is Jerusalem. And at night, from all around Jerusalem, back in the day and even still today, you can see the lights burning. And at that time, you could see the lights, the temple burning, the fires. It's a beacon of hope for the world. That's what we're called to be. But the only way we can do that is if we walk in his way. He's got a Kuahar waiting on you. hop on and ride. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.